How are we feeling about the Oklahoma Sooners heading into the bye week? We'll talk a little bit about what happened around the Big 12 as well on today's episode of Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners, and thank you for making Locked On Sooners your first listen every single day. We're free and available on all podcast platforms. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. You can read my work covering the Sooners over at thesoonerswire.com. He's Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshNonRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref and Norman. Josh, what's up, man? How was your Monday? It was a good Monday, my friend, and how was yours? It was fantastic. That, That cool fall weather finally hit. Eastern Oklahoma. I don't know what it was like out uh, Norman way, but it got pretty cool out. And then, you know, coaching my daughter's soccer team um, in the 50 degree weather, they were not super focused tonight, but that's okay. It, it's, you know, eight year old, seven, six and seven year olds. So we had a good time though. I got to run around a little bit, but it was a good time. So Oklahoma's heading into the bye week and three straight losses. They end the losing streak with a, a big win. I say a big win. It was only 10 points, but at times in this game, it felt like the margin was much bigger. I mean, it was 21 basically at one point in the second half. So how are we feeling about the Oklahoma Sooners now that we've approached the bye week? They're four and three, finally got the big 12 win. What are you thinking? Well, the complexion for who Oklahoma is with Dylan Gabriel playing quarterback, I think is wildly different as compared to this football team without Dylan Gabriel Uh, We're going to spend some time looking at some stock up, stock down, and spoiler alert, Dylan Gabriel would find himself within that stock up camp for Oklahoma. You know, for me, uh, the the question going into the bye week, I think a little bit is, what's good? What's now good for this Oklahoma football team? It's not mathematically dashed, right, that you could get into the Big 12 championship game, though you would need to, of course, went out and have plenty of help for that to happen. So really for our purposes right here, probably your hopes of getting into the big 12 championship game, not very likely, right? Doesn't feel like Oklahoma is going to get there, even if Oklahoma wins out. So with that in mind, what is good now for Oklahoma, John? And as I kind of kick that around for me, you know, obviously, uh, win win your home games if you can which you know if you do that that's obviously wins over both Baylor and Oklahoma State who were thought of coming into this season to be two of the forces that probably were going to be the main obstacles in your way in terms of a Big 12 championship so if you do that I think that would be you know obviously positive going into next season but probably larger and more realistic than that because I don't know if this Oklahoma team at least right now today is winning Bedlam and Norman sounds crazy to say, but probably you wouldn't pick it that way, at least where we stand right now. So for me, winning Ames, winning Morgantown, and if you win in Lubbock and then split the two home games, I mean, to me that winds up, given how the beginning of the season played out, John, I mean, if you can do that and lose one the rest of the way and it's Bedlam, honestly, you lose both rivalry games and that part's frustrating for OU, but if you play better along the way doing it, and you only drop the one more game the rest of the way. Given how things started, I mean, I, aren't Oklahoma fans then going to turn around and probably be optimistic going into next season? 
Yeah, I think if you finish the season seven and six, I mean, you don't like where you're at, but given how, like you mentioned, how the Big 12 schedule started with three losses, giving up 40 points in each of those games, getting blown out by TCU and by Texas, you got to start just looking for what's positive. And if you can get into a bowl game, finish with a winning record, then you're feeling pretty at least decent about where you're headed. Not as good as what we were hoping to be at the end of 2022, but you kind of have to recalibrate expectations and that's okay. That just happens. It's not the season we expected it to be, or at least I expected it. Many people expected it, but things change. Here's where we are. Just as you were talking, I went ahead and looked up kind of ESPN's football power index that gives, they go through 20,000 simulations based on what's happened. And those simulations are going to be based on what's going to happen throughout the rest of the year. So right now, Oklahoma's projected record to finish the season is 6.2 and 5.8. So basically a six and six record. Um, they give Oklahoma a 1.5% chance to win out a 73.3% chance to win six games, 0% chance to win the conference. And obviously the playoffs are, are, out of the question at this point as well. So, I mean, not necessarily, I mean, they're not mathematically eliminated. Like you mentioned, they'd have to get a lot of help, but as far as the simulations go and, and the projections, it's not looking like that that's going to be a realistic possibility, a realistic scenario. I do find it interesting that six wins is kind of the ceiling for Oklahoma at this point, according to the ESPN football power index projections, which I mean, sometimes they're pretty, they're pretty right on. I mean, it's, it's again, simulations, it's a computer. You can't always trust it like we had with the BCS back in the day, but it's just kind of a good framework for what this thing could be. Um, and I would be a little bit disappointed in that if it was just six wins, because I do think the games on your schedule are winnable, even Bedlam. I mean, Oklahoma state's offense is really good, but so is your offense and Oklahoma state's defense it's not that good. They've got some good players at different positions, but they've given up a lot of points this year, not just to TCU, but also to central Michigan early in the season. So this is a team that can be scored on. It would not surprise me to see Oklahoma and Oklahoma state play a shootout at the end of the season. The, the game in Morgantown maybe concerns me a little bit more than the one in Ames, just because I don't think Iowa state's offense is going to be able to run away from you but the defense is, is difficult. I do think West Virginia's offense is pretty good. Just like we saw with what happened to Baylor uh, this past weekend, or sorry, last Thursday, uh, they put up 43 points on the bears. So it's really interesting because the, the big 12 is just so wide open. I wrote about it um, over at Sooners wire today that it's just deep from top to bottom. Basically we're playing any given Saturday. Like any team can be any other team. There's not an unstoppable force out there. I mean, TCU was on the ropes a little bit against Oklahoma state. They got another big one coming up against Kansas state. Will they win that one? It's, it remains to be seen, but I, I think just where I'm at, it's like get bowl eligible is kind of your first step, get to six wins and then just see what happens. It's all kind of gravy from there, get to the bowl game and then just begin building towards 2023. And that's to me, that that's kind of the big issue is like building towards 2023 means you need to start playing your younger players. We've seen a little bit of that over the last couple of weeks with Jaron Cannon getting some playing time, although not as much as many people, including myself would like it to see, but you did see Robert Spears Jennings get some playing time this past weekend. Uh, Jovante Barnes had 20 carries uh, against, um, against Kansas. So like that gives you a bit of a glimpse of, of the future a little bit, but I'd like to see even more, you know, 
if the 2022 season is pretty much a wash at this point and you're just playing for bowl eligibility, start working those younger guys in a lot more. I mean, you don't want to blow red shirts, but I mean, if these guys are good and they're really, really good, you're not going to have them for four years anyway. And so, yeah, you want to be kind of you know methodical a little bit, but at the same time, you also want to just see what you got. And the best way to see what you've got heading into the next season is to get live action for these guys. And so I would be disappointed if we didn't see more younger players playing more snaps throughout the rest of the season, but I know that they want to manage red shirts and make sure that they don't, you know, uh, kill a year of eligibility. I get that. Um, but I think it'd be a wasted opportunity not to get these guys like significant snaps in at least one game to get them to get film on them so that you can be like, all right, here's what you did. Well, here's what you need to work on heading into 2022. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's obviously got to be a priority for Oklahoma with obviously, you know, also keeping the balance of trying to win these games that are left on your schedule. Right. If somebody is and I know this is at times, maybe not easy to say, or even think, about Oklahoma's defensive personnel, but if these guys that are getting the majority of the snaps right now, John, if they are in fact still more advanced and better than the guys behind them, you know, there is that tightrope of play the younger player to get them obviously the snaps. And we've, you know, I, I think that's something, you know, a couple of weeks ago I was campaigning for is play the younger players. If you've, you don't have a chance to win a big 12 championship and all these different things and, you know, play the younger guys, maybe it's just the one win over Kansas talking here now suddenly, John. But, you know, to me, you also – you don't want to sacrifice the now. So if uh, these guys that are playing are, in fact, just more advanced and better, you know, play the guys that are going to best position you to win because, again, I do think the further you dive into let's play all of the young guys, you do kind of run the risk of, okay, losing – a bunch of these football games coming down the stretch. And what does that mean? Right. I mean, the, the greater good, right. You hear that phrase sometimes. What does, what does that mean in terms of this recruiting class or the 2024 recruiting class? So, you know, you just have to be cognizant of some of those things, but generally speaking, I, I'm with you, right. If, uh, if things are equal, play the young guy. Oh yeah. And I'm not at all advocating for them to just empty the bench and just go with all true freshmen and sophomores, but there have, got, there have been guys that have proven so far that they can handle the little bit of workload that they've gotten. So expand that a little bit, get them a little bit more workload, start kind of working guys in from here, you know, here and there, getting them a little bit more snaps. Like a guy like Kenai Walker, you know what I mean? Like that's a young guy. He's a sophomore, I believe. Throw him out there, like give him opportunities to play. And maybe this is part of the DJ Graham thing too. Moving him to wide receiver opens up opportunities for some more of these guys like a CJ Colden, a Kenai Walker, to get some playing time in the cornerback rotation that they might not have gotten otherwise, because you do have, I mean, for the ups and downs that DJ Graham provided you, he's an experienced player that does provide you some really good play at times. And so, you know, making, making that move maybe allows for some of that. So I don't know. It, it remains to be seen. We're going to trust BV and all this and how he decides to manage the roster. I would just like to see a little bit more of some of these guys, especially a guy like Jaron Kanak, and, you know, the one play, the one play that stood out from Robert Spears Jennings, I'm, I'm game to see a little bit more than that. Gentry Williams, another one that is going to factor heavily into your defensive back uh, rotation, your role in 2023. Let me see some of him. I do think, though, with everything that's gone on, it allows you to be patient with bringing back a guy like Billy Bowman. Just let him get healthy, not feel like you have to rush him back into action. Uh, so that's a good thing. 
Um, but yeah, coming up next, let's do some stock up, stock down, just kind of take stock of where the Oklahoma Sooners are in different sections of the football program. But first, let me talk to you about Upside. From cringing at the pump to getting an eye-popping check at your favorite restaurant, inflation is hitting us all where it hurts. I went to the grocery store tonight and was shocked by how much I ended up spending because of what I ended up buying. Like milk, milk is crazy right now. And that's just the way it is. Like across the board, everybody's dealing with inflation and it really hurts. That's why we started using Upside. It's an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, or dines out. With every purchase, you can earn cash back thanks to Upside. So to get started, download the free Upside app, use our promo code LOCKED and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Next, you can claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside, check in at the business, pay as usual with a credit or debit card and get paid. In comparison to credit card rewards or loyalty programs, you can earn three times more cash back with Upside. Upside users are earning more than a million dollars every week. That's why they have a 4.8 star rating on the App Store. So download the free Upside app, use promo code LOCKED, to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code LOCKED. All right, Josh, time to take stock of the Oklahoma Sooners. Our guy Brian Cruz over at Sooners Wire puts out this article every single week. Just kind of taking, I'm using the, I'm being redundant, taking stock of where things are at with the Oklahoma Sooners uh, football program after this win against Kansas. Who's somebody in your mind has seen their stock risen since Saturday. Jeff Levy, I think, uh, stock has risen since this past Saturday. The man that was, uh, you know, taking taking some punches to the chest from Oklahoma fans after the poor performance, and deservedly so, right, to not have a backup quarterback prepared and for just the complete ineptitude that took place offensively down at the Cotton Bowl for Oklahoma. It wasn't a good place to be for, you know, I I don't think Jeff Levy was necessarily panicked or feeling the heat, so to speak. But if he listened to a bunch of, you know, the talk shows out there and this podcast and other places, not that we just sat there and, you know, attacked Jeff Levy left and right, but Jeff Levy was somebody that Oklahoma fans were upset with coming out of the Cotton Bowl. So I think you saw that was somebody else that easily you can say stock up on your quarterback, Dylan Gabriel. When you have him back into the fold, John, a lot of these things that Jeff Levy and this offense wants to do, if you've got the right point, man, all of a sudden Jeff Levy's offense looks pretty fluid. Looks pretty, uh, looks pretty good. I mean, to the tune of 700 plus yards. Yeah. I'd say his stock rising. I think so. I think it was unfortunate that they didn't have a quarterback that they felt like could throw the football in the cotton bowl against Texas. He did the, you know, looking back, he did the best he could with what he had and what he felt comfortable with. And in his, you know, his comments after the game, that's basically what he said is just based on the week of preparation, we did what we felt like we were comfortable with. Um, And this game against a, I think what's probably an okay Kansas defense, a middle of the pack Kansas defense they were great offensively. They did pretty much everything they wanted. The only time that they got stopped was on that, you know, goal line uh, stand at the end of the first half. And then when they turned the ball over, they only punted it once. So, you know, they, they got in their own way more than Kansas did. Kansas really had two stops the whole game. So pretty good from Jeff Levy. I'm going to go to the, the defensive side of the football for several weeks, we've just been wanting something positive out of this group. 
They got two turnovers. They forced three punts uh, in the first half alone. Um, and so they had the interception, three punts in the first half, and then got another interception in the second half. Just a really solid, I mean, I won't say a solid performance, but a better performance. You know, there's, I feel like if they can build on that, they'll, their stock will head in the right direction. I think Iowa State gives them an opportunity to, con- to continue gain a little bit more confidence. Hunter Deckers has been good at times, but he's just been so up and down that, that Iowa State offense can't do anything consistently. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a test with guys like Xavier Hutchinson, but it was good to see the defense get some stops, just force a punt. And they did it on you know two consecutive drives, got an interception, then forced another punt. So a really solid kind of 15 minutes or so of game time for the Oklahoma Sooners on the defensive side of the football. And, you know, a couple of players I think we can highlight over there whose stock you could say is going up. Not that it was totally perfect, but, you know, you're out there for the majority, really all of the snaps, I think, defensively for Deshaun White. You come away with an interception. You're involved in some other plays I thought he had. A nice performance and some of the things at times that he's done in coverage this year john have have been really good for for oklahoma for somebody in deshaun white that i didn't know that necessarily his skill set was going to translate to coverage skills you know honestly i've been pleasantly surprised at times with uh, some of what deshaun white's done out there i'm not trying to sit there and say deshaun white's uh you know this plus coverage defender necessarily when you start translating from college to the next level but I mean, relative to sort of what I was expecting, I do think he's helped himself in that department quite a bit. Key Lawrence had a pretty good game for for Oklahoma, somebody that's kind of been missing in action for a little while, John. Uh, Kind of resurfaced this past weekend, saw 53 snaps per pro football focus. And looking at the defensive grades they've got right here, had uh, the third highest grade defensively for Oklahoma and was good in the tackling department. So, you know, that was someone who, again – Kind of, kind of wondered for a little bit, is this just somebody that's getting lost in the shuffle for Oklahoma? But it appears like Key Lawrence is back in the fold for OU defensively. Yeah, and just another guy, Danny Stutzman, I thought played a much better game than what we've seen. I felt like his his ability uh, in the run game was huge. It, it helped slow them down a, at least a little bit. Um, and then go back to the offensive side of the ball, Braden Willis – He's a guy, you know, we talked about it on our show, our post game show, not our post game, but our Monday show where he's the, one of the players I really expected a breakout season from out from under this, you know, tight end rotation that he was in with Austin Stogner and Jeremiah Hall getting to play tight end one snaps. He was fantastic. And it's just all the things that he does. Well, I mean, he's a guy that I think could uh, play at the next level, um, as a tight end, like he could be a starter for somebody because he's such a good run blocker. And now we're starting to see the pass catching ability come to fruition. I mean, he had five catches for 102 yards on seven targets, averaging 20.4 yards per reception and a touchdown. Um, you know, and he at what did he have? He had 45 yards after the catch averaging nine point or sorry, nine yards after the catch per reception, just phenomenal. And then his blocking again, one of the best aspects of his game is his run blocking. He had the best run blocking grade from pro football focus on Saturday. Just one of the MVPs of this game. You know, this is maybe off the beaten path for some a little bit. What about Anton Harrison? I'm, I'm looking at the, the grades here and honestly probably didn't give it a ton of thought. And I'm, guilty of being kind of in this uh this group to where 
probably I'd have to go back and rewatch a game. You know, defensive lineman, edge, uh, edge rusher, defensive tackle. You see those guys when they break through and they're disruptive and they get a TFL or a sack or a hurry. Offensive line, unless something goes horribly wrong, sometimes, you know, you don't think about those guys a bunch unless you just look at the cumulative rushing numbers or whatever. But I'm just looking at Anton Harrison was the highest graded offensive player for Oklahoma per pro football focus. And, you know, that's not an easy day seeing 101 total snaps, John. And the pass blocking grade on 51 dropbacks was really good and 86.3 there. So I think you got to say, and I would put Anton Harrison really kind of just collectively with Oklahoma's offensive line. We talked a little bit about that in uh, yesterday's show that it was a big step forward, I thought, for the offensive line. But individually, Anton Harrison, and then just collectively up front, stock up offensive line for OU. Yeah, could not agree more. That was one of my kind of my biggest takeaways was how well the offensive line played in this game. You needed that. You needed them to come out and have a dominant performance, and they did it both in the run game and in the pass game as well. Uh, so a lot to a lot to like from this team. There's more that could improve, and you know we might even save that for for a different time. But coming up, we're going to talk about what happened around the Big Twelve and just kind of check in on where Oklahoma stands in the standings. Our partners at Nissan, they have worked with us, John, to create a new segment across the Locked On College Network. It's titled Thrilling Moments. This is where we highlight the most exciting play from the Oklahoma Sooners game. Obviously, uh, a bunch of those to pick from in the 52-42 win for Oklahoma over the Kansas Jayhawks. The the most thrilling moment might just be getting into the win column. Uh, right. the, Thrilling moment uh, presented by Nissan for Oklahoma, just finally getting another win. But there's some interesting candidates. How about C.J. Colden's interception? Deshaun White, we mentioned him a little bit earlier with his interception. Dylan Gabriel, just the the entirety of his day. But I think you and I, as we were prepping here, decided it's got to be Braden Willis tight roping the sideline for his 26-yard touchdown reception was just amazing. For Oklahoma. Again, plenty of great candidates. Finally, we have candidates to pick from in a winning Nissan moment for Oklahoma. Again, this uh, segment, it's inspired by the thrilling new designs featured across Nissan's new lineup of vehicles. Pursue what thrills you in the all new Frontier, the Armada, or the Pathfinder today, available now at NissanUSA.com. I think this will be a common thread for us. Every week we could come in here in the beginning of the week and say, wow, what a, what a fun week of action across the Big 12. And once again, it delivered the game of the week. I guess let's just start right there. It looked like, speaking of games that felt like they were out of hand at times or in control at times, Oklahoma State had TCU at arm's length for a, a large portion of Saturday. But then just those final few drives, Oklahoma State offensively, you know, combusted a little bit and TCU made him pay for it found the found a way to get the game into overtime and uh, obviously won it from there what were some of your big takeaways from uh, the Saturday that was in Fort Worth obviously uh, TCU handing Oklahoma State its first loss in a battle of unbeatens Quentin Johnston might be the best player in the conference I, I he he's gonna have to be in the conversation because every single week he just does something amazing and you know that he's going to be the guy that Max Duggan goes to and you still can't stop him. I mean, I, I mentioned this in a group chat with some other, you know, big 12 hosts. Um, 
he might be the closest comp that I would make to a guy like Megatron, Calvin Johnson, because his his size and his athletic ability to just go up and get a football. I mean, there's there was one play in the I believe it was in the first half of the game. TCU's down. They need a drive to to get back in this game. And Duggan just he says, forget it. Quentin's down there somewhere and just throws it deep down the field. Johnson goes up over two Oklahoma State defenders and kind of is getting hit as he catches the football and comes down with a play. And, you know, it's first and goal at the one yard line. It didn't score on that play, but he had like eight catches for 180 yards and a couple touchdowns in that game. Just a phenomenal performance. And really, TCU just proving once again that they're a legit contender in the Big 12 by knocking off Oklahoma State have now risen into number eight in the USA Today coaches poll. It's a a team that I think is going to be very, very tough to beat because they they have a good quarterback or a quarterback that's playing really good football right now. They're running the ball really well. They've got one of the best players in the conference in, in QJ. And I feel like they play a very physical style of defense that even if they're not the best defense in the conference, they make you pay at times. Like they're going to make things really, really difficult for you defensively. We saw it, you know, not long ago, Josh had to bounce out for a second. He's having some internet connection problems, but we saw it, you know, when Oklahoma and TCU played a few weeks back that TCU's defense is just tough. They're physical and they're going to grind on you. And if they can continue to get those kind of performances out of that unit, it's, they're going to be a tough team to beat. So yeah, TCU looking legit. Quentin Johnson being one of the best players in the conference. Up, I'm putting him right up there with Bajan Robinson and Xavier Worthy and Quinn Ewers, like Adrian Martinez. It doesn't matter. Quentin Johnson, he's that guy that's going to get that top 15 love in the NFL draft when his time comes. It took a minute for him to really kind of get on track this season. I mean, after going bonkers versus Oklahoma, not this season, but last season, you know, for whatever reason, he didn't need uh, to go all that bonkers this season for uh for tcu but uh i mean he was awesome again a year ago but you know really you know four receptions 41 yards against oklahoma and that was kind of typical of his performances up to that point of the season i'll just run down his game log here for you uh three receptions 22 versus colorado just a couple versus tarleton uh three receptions 21 versus smu but these past two weeks oh my goodness Quentin Johnston, it's like uh, they went into the lab and said, you know what, Hmm. maybe it's a good idea to get our number one wide receiver involved. He had 14 grabs for 206 yards in a touchdown versus Kansas. Obviously, he was amazing versus Oklahoma State. Eight receptions for a buck 80 and a touchdown. He was unstoppable. I'm with you, man. He is uh, really, really good. He's such an obvious NFL-type talent wide receiver. And, you know, even just – in those first four games, I'm sure that Coach Sonny Dykes and TCU would be the first to tell us, John, that, okay, well, his production's not there and the numbers aren't there, but just simply the defense having to respect or think about Quentin Johnston is a big part of why everybody else is, uh, you know, able to go get theirs, so to speak. But obviously these last two weeks, man, he has uh, just completely gone off. We, we didn't start here. Maybe we should have. Uh, Baylor, I mean – they're kind of in the same boat, I would say, as – and they're not quite in the same boat. But to me, you know, losing at West Virginia the way that they did, 43-40, to 40, I know that uh, maybe they win this game. Probably they win this game if Blake Shapin doesn't get hurt, John. But 
to me, that's a very, very damaging blow to their Big 12 championship defense hopes. I'm, I'm not totally ready to put them on life support, but, man, they're close. Yeah, we, we talked about it last week. Like, if they were going to stay in contention, that they had to win that game, and they fell flat. I mean, they're right there at the bottom of the, you know, the bottom half of the standings at one and two, tied with West Virginia and Texas Tech for what would be sixth in the conference. So, I mean, they're going to need, they're one of those teams that's going to need a lot of help if they want to get back into the Big 12 title game. And, I mean, I, I do think that they're kind of in a similar boat to, Oklahoma, you know, that defense is just not what it was. I think that was a big reason why they were a lot of people's preseason favorite to win the conference again is because of what we expected their defense to be. And West Virginia really exposed that um, on, on Thursday night last week. So I'm a little bit concerned for Baylor. I'm not sure what to make of them right now because I I feel like they've had some, some solid performances, you know, the BYU game was a loss, but I felt like they played solid. Uh, The, the loss to Oklahoma state was, tough you know they were down by a big a big number in the second half and made it look a little bit more respectable late but yeah i'm just not sure what to make of baylor i don't know if they're if they're as bad as that loss indicates to west virginia um but certainly some troubling signs there at least uh in year three of of dave aranda i just before the season i felt like this was going to be one of those regress to the mean kind of a seasons for for baylor I didn't feel like their defense would regress like this, but I felt like just they would kind of take a step back to more middle of the pack. Um, And they are, but they're kind of like bottom of the middle of the pack. So that was a little bit surprising to me that they took that, that, or that they took that loss. Um, And then the other kind of big game, Texas and Iowa state, you know, we, we talked about Iowa state's defense being really good. I I believe you picked them to, to uh, hang with Texas as far as like, you know, you pick them against the spread against Texas. I went the other way. I thought Texas would be able to cover this just the way that their offense is playing. But no, Iowa State's defense is as good as the numbers say they are. Um, that was probably one of the better offenses they've faced so far this year. I mean, and they held, you know, uh, Kansas State to 10 points the week prior. So when Oklahoma goes to Ames here in a week and a half, that's going to be a really tough matchup for this, this Oklahoma Sooners offense. Now they get a little bit more time to prepare. Maybe can find some some weak spots in that defense, but that's going to be a tough one. It looks that way. Absolutely it does. And, you know, I mean, so far this season, just 31 points, the the most that Iowa State's allowed to anybody in that, of course, a couple of weeks back versus Baylor. But Kansas, you only give up the 14, Kansas State, the, the 10 there, and then holding a Texas team down to 24. Speaking of big performances for wide receivers, Xavier Hutchinson put one on, 10 grabs, 154, but it was the one catch that he didn't come up with that wound up really being the story, right, in Austin, the the catch that he – I mean, I just – how do you drop that pass? Oh, man, I hurt so bad for him. My, I'm a former wide receiver. I, I have this strong affinity for wide receiver play. I just love to watch it. It's just – it's to me, it's art out there. And when he dropped that, I just I just put my my hand over my mouth. I was like, oh my gosh, how how do you how? And and I know he his heart sunk. It's like a, a field goal kicker missing a game winning field goal. Like your heart just sinks, and you know that you can't get it back. There's not enough time to make that play up in that game when you had a chance to win it, and it just 
you drop the ball like that. It just, it hurts, man. And I know, you know, he's been a great player for him. So people are going to kind of give him the benefit of the doubt a little bit, but if he's, if they're not able to make some, you know, some, some things happen this season and win some games, that might be one of the ones that he's kind of remembered for. And you hate it for a guy who's had such a strong career at Iowa state that, that potentially that could be the play that he's remembered for the most. Well, and you get into just power ranking these things and, you know, I'm not by any walk here ready to go ahead out onto the limb predicting that Oklahoma is going to walk up to Ames or travel up to Ames and just win this game easily. But, man, I mean, there's a defined seller right now in the Big 12, and it's Iowa State, who is 0-4 in the league. And, you know, I just – who are they going to beat now? Oklahoma at home. I mean, Oklahoma at home, West Virginia at home – the following week and you know then then beyond that you know it's tough you go to Oklahoma State they close with a road trip to TCU they do get Texas Tech at home I mean this uh offensively feels like a team that really has some problems and actually put together one of its better offensive showings and it winds up in the loss column for them so Oklahoma's got to find a way to keep them down this is going to be a hungry team when Oklahoma goes up to Ames but I do think John that it's actually a good matchup for Oklahoma, the fact that, again, they do have some offensive struggles for a defense that has had its own fair share of issues down here in Norman, I think uh, you know, you'd know you rather have that versus an offense that's absolutely humming for this defense and you know maybe in a, an opponent that's not all that great defensively. I think you, you kind of will take the cards as they fall for Oklahoma where you're matching up against arguably maybe the best defense in the big 12, but that offense leaves a lot to be desired for, for Iowa state, but that's eh, a conversation for another day. Yeah. Just one more nugget on Iowa state. Their four losses in big 12 play have come by an average of three and a half points in margin of victory. So they're keeping games close. The defense is playing well. It's going to be fascinating because their strength is their defense our strength is our offense our weakness is our defense their weakness is their offense which one's going to be able to overcome their weakness more in this game that'll be that'll be the big key uh here in a week and a half when the Sooners travel to Ames for an 11 a.m kickoff good on good and the infamous bad on bad that's right and that's going to do it for today's episode of locked on Sooners thank you so much for tuning in and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts now that you're done with Locked On Sooners, make sure you go check out the Locked On Big 12 podcast for your second listen every day. Josh Neighbors and local experts on Locked On take you across the Big 12 in 30 minutes. Locked On Big 12, your second listen, Locked On Big 12. And until next time, he's Josh Helmer. I'm John Williams. We'll catch you then. Boomer Sooner. <laughs>